0: Uh, my name is Enrique Cerna, I'm Senior Correspondent for Crosscut and KCTS 9, uh, very happy to welcome you to the Crosscut Festival and of course this uh, particular session of uh, Righting the Wrongs of Racism. Uh, I'd like now to uh, introduce uh, our panel members and have them come up and take a seat. Um, and an associate professor of political science and director of global African studies program here at Seattle University. Angelique Davis's research has concentrated on such topics as black motherhood. Here she is right here. Social legal construction of race and state apologies. Tamaketa is the founding executive director of Densho, nonprofit organization that preserves and shares the stories of Japanese Americans who were unjustly incarcerated during World War II. Natasha, is that what Natasha, she made it, all right. Natasha Moran is a conceptual artist and an independent consultant, primarily focusing on digital engagement and community building. Her viral project, Reparations, explores the ideas of leveraging privilege for present day solutions to inequity. And rounding out our group of panelists is Mark Trahant former editorial page editor of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, a member of Idaho's Shoshone <laughs> bannock tribes. He's also the Charles R. Johnson Endowed Professor of Journalism at the University of North Dakota. <clears throat> and our moderator is my good friend Marcus Harrison Green, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of the South Seattle Emerald, He regularly writes about social movements, juvenile justice, and American society, and please uh, welcome them all. And before we uh, get started here, uh, let me just thank our sponsors, without whom none of this would be possible. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Killinger Foundation, and our race and social justice track sponsor, Seattle Foundation. And Marcus, take it away.
1: All right. All right. Uh, Again, thank you for joining us here today. Um, Apologies to the audience, you know, from the start, if my voice starts to crack, I'm not going through puberty, I'm recovering from the flu. So um, anyhow, uh, in this robust 45 minutes that have been allotted to us to talk about America's legacy of Native American genocide, slavery, uh, Japanese internment, and so many other things, Let's just go ahead and, and get started here with uh, how you know how can we actually redress uh these you know systemic problems that we have with, with racism in this country when you know it appears that we are, are living in a very polarized atmosphere now there's there's a recent Pew poll that was done where uh, it was fifty two percent of Americans agree that reverse racism meaning uh, racism against white folks are, is just as prevalent, pervasive, nasty, and, and, you know, horrendous as historic racism that we continue to have today. So, Natasha, I see you over there laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like I was fishing for a face that was also trying ah. to find you. Thank you. Oh,
2: I was sort of casting my eyes out to find someone else who was also desperately trying to hold their face in a placid form while you were describing, you know, half of the population feeling like racism towards white people is a, like a thing. And we found each other's faces and it was such relief. It was like a little rainbow went from... You know, each one of us back, and, and that's why I was laughing, because it was like, even in the the midst of that moment of like, oh, God, yes.
1: there was relief. You have to laugh to keep from crying, yes.
3: <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to no, interrupt. No.
1: Angelique, would you like to, to take that question?
3: Sure, thank you. Um, I think in this world where we have alternate <sighs> facts, right, and um, people are... Lying is starting to be normalized. It makes it even more difficult when we're talking about, because typically we've used the facts to show inequality, right? And disproportionality. And so it's made it even more difficult. And I think that really calls into the importance of telling our stories, right? And speaking up and consistently working to change the narrative. Um, because it's not gonna happen you know, overnight. The thing is, there's a lot of people who no matter what information you show them, it's not, they're not gonna change their minds. Um, but there are some who will, and there's also um, some right through uh, information, but also through our personal relationships um, as well, and so really those two-pronged, um, I think, aspects are ways
4: to go about it.
1: All right, Mark, you wanna chime in on that?
4: Well, it's, um, let me talk about the American Indian and Alaska native experience. Cause I think it's a little different when you look at trying to get things right, it's basically starting with the premise that the United States needs to do what it said it would do. And it's not about looking forward and saying this, for example, uh, treaties were signed that identified certain things that the United States promised to do in exchange for millions and millions of acres of land and getting that to even be acknowledged, let alone funded, is an extraordinary challenge.
1: Tom? Yeah, I was
5: just thinking, you know, from a, from a Japanese American, is that working? Yeah, from a Japanese American standpoint. So when Japanese Americans were, were placed in concentration camps during World War II, and, and you know, it was a, this, this gross injustice, and the community knew this, but nothing happened for decades and in the 80s, when uh, uh, you know people started talking about this, it was it was actually um, back then. This was in the 70s, 80s. You know, this this view of the, we actually called it the impossible dream to get a, a apology from the government. And the the thing that strikes me in terms of today is as 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 dismal as as daunting as the task looks. That's the way it felt for Japanese Americans back in. Uh, the early, you know, early '70s when we started confronting this, and to to not give up. I mean, it took an incredible effort of you know of organizing, of confronting, and 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 never giving up. And, and it actually made a difference. But it took 20 years for that to happen.
1: Yeah. Natasha, have you been able to process the absur- absurdity of the reverse racism claim?
2: I don't think we should ever be able to process the absurdity of it all. Um, I mean. Just in our introductory comments, I mean, that's enough for all of us to have a a nice, good, long think, you know, just about what what does this, what is this charade really about? You know, we're talking about lies and promises broken, um, but was there really ever a promise that wasn't broken? Like maybe the precedence is what we should be learning from. Maybe we should realize that, you know, you've been lied to, and you've been lied to, and I've been lied to, and you've been lied to, and you've been lied to. to. So maybe we need to stop looking outside of us for the truth.
1: But then, I I guess, like, you have these these other countries who, who have had horrific... Uh, national tragedies and, and atrocities you have Rwanda that has that has as imperfect as it is has had a truth and reconciliation act you 've had South Africa as imperfect as it is and remains has had a truth and reconciliation act. I always say that it 's difficult to have that in America because so few people can agree on what the truth actually is so how do we how do we have an agreed upon truth? How can we find a, a, a truth when it be, continues to elude us for these last 250 some odd years. I don't want to
2: be like too esoteric, but I mean, I think everyone in here has probably had um, a relationship, uh, friendship, uh, romantic relationship where you have experienced disappointment. You have felt let down. Um, what you learn in your individual life experience is often that you may not get the kind of closure and reparative action that you need from this other person. Um, you may need to build your own for yourself so that you can continue. I think that's kind of what I'm talking about a little bit. Like at some point we do actually have to stop waiting for the rude entitled kid in class to have the epiphany. I like to call this philosophy, Leave Becky Stupid. Where, where in which (laughs) Becky represents the superposition of, um, of willful ignorance. And you just allow, allow that to continue outside of you, over there and you build your resources and collect your truth and your solidarity and you do what you can with what you have for the folks that are, are awake already. I'm actually not really interested in waking everyone up. It's too, it takes too much of a toll on me.
1: I, I wish I had you coaching me through my last three relationships, it sounds like. <laughs> 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 Um, (laughs) professor I see you wanted to chime in over there well
3: when you know what she's talking about I think is really this idea that so often we're the subjects we're not actually the protagonists in telling our own story right and actually the actors in the story we're being defined we're being told who we are and so you know when we think about you know, for example, with African Americans, there were apologies that were given for slavery and Jim Crow. Um, you know, conveniently during Obama's presidential campaign. So between 2007 and then right after his inauguration through 2009, seven states issued apologies. The U.S. Senate, um, as well as the House, both, but there were resolutions. But they actually didn't apologize, right? And so in some ways, many people held this up as, oh, we're, there's racial reconciliation, this is so wonderful. But, you know, the floor discussions in every single one of these legislatures included discussions, well, we can't say apology because then it'll lead to reparations, (laughs) right? And some of them actually included disclaimers explicitly saying that this was not to be used for reparations. And so the language instead was profound regret, Um, you know, we atone for our prior sins, and by the way, we're not going to really do anything concrete about it. And... You know, if we're constantly waiting for somebody else to define us the way we want to be defined, right, that's, we need to be working to change the narrative.
5: What she said. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and Marcus, I just, yeah, I, I just want to uh, emphasize the importance of that. I mean, for the Japanese-American community, you know, we, we were often told what happened, and, 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 and that we were spies and saboteurs, you know, during World War II. And, and during the redress movement, for us to have, you know, community meetings like this were, where the community took back their story. We had uh, testimonies uh, from the community just sharing uh, family by family what happened. And that, and that changed the narrative within our community. I mean, we, we took our story back. And that was so important in, in the movement to share those stories, not only with our community, but with others who would support us. And, and that gradually, you know, changed things for us.
4: One part of the story that I think is essential to the American narrative is duality and the ability to hold competing ideas in your head. And I think that so often is lacking. And to me, one of the great examples of that is when Thomas Jefferson is writing um, notes on Virginia, that same week he's digging up tribal people on his land trying to learn more is his words about him. And that duality of, on one hand, throwing these noble ideas out and saying this is what we're about. And on the other hand, something as despisca- despicable as digging up graves at the same time, I think defines the American experience in so many ways. Yet when we wanna have conversations it's about, all about one end or the other without idea of du- duality and how both are true and both. For example, um, here in the Northwest, um, we went through the really tough, tough time with the Bolt decision where a U.S. judge said treaties said what they said they said and that when tribes said that they have a right to salmon, it's clear. It's in the language. This is what's going to happen. Treaties have to be interpreted by the people who signed them as what they thought at the time of the signing. Yet that narrative doesn't get across the country. People saw, uh, didn't see what happened in Washington State before Bolt they didn't see what happened after Bolt, and it didn't become part of the national conversation. But we need more of those moments where, because something rises out, out of these conflicting values, and there is some sort of resolution, people need to learn from that as well.
1: Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you talked about the duality and then this complexity that, that um, you know, we face around this issue, and and my favorite my favorite author of all time, James Baldwin, said, "America is a place where nuance and complexity goes to die." Oftentimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it seems anytime you hear about the word reparations, it's it's, it's something that can be very triggering to, to folks, right? As I, I stole that line from you, Natasha. So thank you, but <laughs> um, but no, but and so. But we have had, you know, situations in the, we've had incidences in, in this, um, in this country where, um, whether it's the 1988 uh, Civil Liberties Act, where you know it gave 100,000 Japanese Americans, you know, some uh, financial adjustment and, and an apology for uh, interning uh, them during uh, World War II. You've had um, just most recently uh, where the Obama administration has settled 3.3 billion in, in lawsuits with um, with the uh, uh, Native tribes. But when it comes, it seems, to more of a large-scale redressment, um, how is it possible to ever sell <laughs> fiscal policy? How is it ever possible to not for, for people not to assume that it's a zero-sum game, that if you know, these people, you know, quote, you know, quotation marks, you know, get something, then I'm losing something?
4: Well, and to be clear about those land settlements, they're all modern deals that went bad. Yeah. They're not ancient. There are things very recent that, and they're paying 30, 40 cents an acre for um, some cases, some of the land. So it's, it's really a pretty raw deal all the way around. And the reason the Obama administration moved on it was because they could take out a pot of money that didn't require congressional approval. And so it was very, um, they cut the best deal they could basically. Uh, on the larger question though, um, I mean, you can't do any math at all and see where this country's riches came without looking at its two original sins, and genocide and slavery. And if you take any kind of equation from that point on, the cost of reparations is higher than the United States is worth.
1: Word. <laughs> Anyone else on that?
3: Well, I, I think one of the things as well when we're... Um, Thinking about reparations, people are looking at it as this zero-sum game. I'm reminded of an old uh, Chappelle skit about reparations. It's like everybody got their check, right? (laughs) Um, But the reality is we really need to look at it in a way that's about our linked fate. It's not about, it's about all of us, right? And if you actually read the literature surrounding reparations and what scholars have been talking about, Right, it's not, we know Ta-Nehisi Coates came out with his article um, on the cover of The Atlantic in 2015. But, you know, for over 100 years, there have been different scholars, mostly um, black scholars calling for reparations for Jim Crow as well as slavery. And, you know, they're not always asking, there's different theories, right? Like there's ideas that it could be things that would improve society, right, as far as education, healthcare, Right, that they don't have to necessarily be something that's, you know, an individual check to certain people, and that we have to determine that this person was actually a descendant of slaves, right? Um, and so I think our imagination is limited, or we're not even using any, as you're, you know, talking about with James Baldwin's um, quote, in that, you know, if some of us are suffering and we have a lot of the social issues that we're facing, right it impacts all of us in some way and i think a lot of people just want to protect their little area and don't really think about about that linked fate
1: but is, do you think reparations is something that as if we see you know this in action at the the federal level that it's maybe obligated for it. It's a community obligation to do, or our individual obligation to do. I'm, I'm looking at you, Natasha, because I know you started <laughs> the reparation site, and um, I will say, reading some of the comments, uh, the, your trolls and stuff, that is like the best case against humanity with some of the, some of the, <laughs> some of the comments that have been on there. Um, for, but for you, like, I mean, do you think that there is a uh, in the in the you know independent mandate that that people should have to like knowing some of the, the privileges that this country has afforded them because of their skin color?
2: Okay, so clearly I'm having esoteric Saturday, and that's fine. I'm just gonna go with it. I'm just gonna get a lot of dating advice this is you how I, you I am today. So. Um, so having tried having having given it a shot and not just sat around in lovely intimate circles and talked about it, um, I can tell you that. I just have a core belief that if you can, you must. That's just one of the things that I believe. So maybe you're in a group of people and they're trying to make a decision and you can make a decision and other people can't make a decision or you can take action now and other people can't. I believe that's because you are supposed to. You are supposed to do exactly what you are capable of doing. So if you aren't capable of sharing, maybe sharing isn't for you. But if you can recognize that you are the beneficiary of years and years of um, by default receiving, receiving unearned gifts, Um, then yes, it shouldn't be a crazy idea for you as an individual to have your personal consciousness mandate that you share what you can when you can. This is not a radical thought, actually. This is just be a decent human being. So with that being the foundation of the idea, yeah, I I took the word reparations, which is about healing and repair, um, and is not specific to any one horrific event um, or series of events. And I let people know that they can do something. And the timing of this was at a time, you know, middle of 2016, um, when many of us felt like, (sighs) we felt like shit was as bad as it could get then. That's what we thought. Do you remember that? Do you remember 2016? We were like, this is terrible. And now we're in like the apocalypse and we're looking back like, (laughs) man, those were the good old days. Um, But yeah, when things were dire, I let folks know, I let folks who identify across the racial spectrum know, hey, there's something you could do. Um, Here's a platform where you can connect with individuals. And if you feel like you can make an offering, make an offering. If you identify as a person of color, make a request. And you know, like over 100,000 people in like the first few months all over the world, participated. And it still continues today in a different form. It's a it's a group on Facebook. It's a closed group. So if you uh, are interested in connecting with folks who may be outside of your immediate network, you can do this. You can put reparations, colon, requests and offerings in your search bar on Facebook and request to join a group where in which you will be confronted with the vast reality of income inequality on racial lines in this country and yeah we've got folks from the philippines we've got you know many tribes represented um local and all throughout the united states and beyond um i saw a post from trinidad where i'm where i was born um, just the other day so yeah there's no excuse you really have absolutely no excuse um Being generous, thinking of yourself as a good person. Super, what are you doing with it? Show me what you've done. That's, that's where I am. So yes, it's possible. I've done it. And you can too.
5: And to build on what Natasha's saying, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, again, the redress. And, and once you have people engaged, it, it starts with these small actions. And so with redress, Uh, like in Seattle, they went to the Seattle Public Schools and the school board just had this low action and they took a stand that, you know, what happened to Japanese Americans was wrong. Then the city of Seattle did this. And, you know, the federal action happened like 10 years after these actions, but it was these local things that happened. Once people heard the story, they were engaged, they they did exactly what you did. What can I do locally? And it, it, it gained momentum. So that was very, very powerful.
2: I mean, you can stop being, a, like, a selfish person right this instant. Like, every morning when you wake up, you can challenge yourself to be more and more generous and more and more aware of what you have, whether you earned it or not. Um, the thing that was interesting about the reparations social experiment was that the first people who made offerings were people of color. So when given the choice to be making a request or making an offering, human people would rather be in a position to make an offering than to make a request. That's a human thing. We all share that. Um, We all know that it's harder to ask for a ride home than it is to be asked for a ride home. You know? So in that moment, you can think about what it is, like, what do you have that you can share? And if you were to do a little organizing in your communities, what kind of wealth and offering could you amass to the people who need it the most? I mean, just think, if this were a gathering where in which we were trying to help one person, maybe there's one person in this room who is about to be evicted. Do you not think we could fix that problem? We We could fix that problem. So it's, it's beginning to think in a now mindset, in a today, this moment mindset, and not in a What if we continue sort of smelling our own farts intellectually for several more years before we ever decide to do anything? No. We're in crisis now. We're in crisis now. Now is when I need you to pull your car over when you see a black person pulled over and bring your white body into the situation and ask for directions to Starbucks. I'm serious. Like, enact... That white power and white privilege in a way that is thoughtful, you know? Because your whiteness will protect you in that moment when you are asking for directions to Starbucks at a completely inappropriate time, <laughs> you know? But you'll be safe. You may also save someone else's life with very little risk to yourself.
3: So, okay, I'm gonna stop preaching. I feel like I'm preaching now. I'm gonna stop, <laughs> take it down. <laughs> I wanted to add as well, um, so these are actions we can do on a micro level. When we're thinking at a macro level as far as its governments, um, right, so states, the federal government, um, other nation states, um, you know, we really have to look at a number of things on the systemic level and also the different types of and the racial hierarchy within the United States as far as racism and really be real about that. I think, for example, um, if you're thinking about uh, reparations for Japanese American incarceration during World War II, they were actually able to measure the harm there was a wartime commission that looked at that there were some people alive a lot of the people weren't alive and unfortunately um they the descendants of people who had been incarcerated were not given reparations and we know this impacted them um but and i want to add a quick side note i use the word incarceration there's actually a japanese american citizens league has um a great Uh, handbook online talking about the power of words, but when I'm talking about the narrative, right, when we think about uh, internment or camps, as they were called in World War II, those were concentration camps, right? They weren't internment camps, if you actually look at the, the uh, the language. And if we think about what was happening in Nazi Germany, those were death camps, okay? And so we need to be specific in the language because the government is using this language or this master narrative, which, hides how serious is what is happening, right? And so, you know, again, we're thinking about reparations for slavery, right? They're descendants of slavery. We're thinking about uh, reparations for genocide against Native American and all the line. I mean, the amount is so huge, I think often, um, you know, that makes a very different type of discussion. And now that those things don't need to happen, or as you're saying, even the government following through just on what it promised. But it's very different when we're thinking on a macro level, right? And so we may be able, for example, to measure descendants of people whose parents suffered under Jim Crow, right? Because some people are still alive. And we can. There's a lot of of academics who've studied the economic impact of slavery and the lost wealth. And so I'm not saying that those things can't happen. But we have to think about why some groups get reparations and some don't. And then also... um, I would say particularly anti-blackness in this country and, and also um, just complete disregard for the fact that we're on native land. Word. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but I, I, I do want to say something. I want to say that, so when we talk about the macrocosmic, people um, become people. And what happens is the problem is so big that you feel like you could do nothing about it. You feel um, powerless. And that is why um, focusing on the micro, the individual, the you, your community, actually if done in a widespread coordinated effort, would be macrocosmic change. So do hold on to the you, that is in this room, part of this community, which is part of this city, which is part of the state, which is part of this country, which is part of this world. Um, if you let go of that, the problem will become so big that you can't possibly handle it. Um, and I, and I, I think we all get lost there, uh, and nothing really happens. And I think it's easy to forget that the government is made up of individuals, and that systems are maintained by individuals um, And that the decisions that you make and you practice every day um, are demonstrating for other people around you options, right? So, you have no idea what one decision that you make could do to influence other people around you. Um, I certainly didn't know when I was sitting, smoking a cigarette on my balcony one afternoon being disgusted when I looked at my feed and all of my white identified friends were throwing their hands up saying, I don't know what to do. And I launched the reparations project. But I will tell you that three years later, I'm still getting notes from women who have escaped domestic violence because of the reparations project. That may not make a big impact on, say, like, everybody in this room. But I'll tell you what, to their kids, it, it probably changes their lives and um, how they feel in their, in their homes, with their families, just knowing that your mother is safe. We all had, you know, everyone has parents. They may not be alive. But that's a human experience. And so remembering that we're people is what's going to save us. There, no, there is, there's actually no way to make up for Japanese incarceration. And there's no way to measure it either. I actually don't think it's possible to measure when the hurt started and when the hurt ended. Oh, you should be done now, by the way. <laughs> I hope that's all wrapped up for you. That's impossible. You can't do that. Um, you can't contain pain like that, but you can be a better human today. You can, and that's reparative action.
1: So. Thank you. Mark, you had something to say?
4: Sure, and I'll actually go back to the macro, sorry. <laughs> there are two things that I, I spent most of December on the island of Dominica, and we think now about things of the past, but our building case for new reparations has started in ways that we're only beginning to uh, uncover this island. 25% of the people are talking about leaving and they're leaving for one reason, climate change. And the reason they're leaving is because of our energy consumption and the way we deal with the world. And when you think, I mean, one of the things that's just striking to me about the immigration debate is it's all looking backward. Hardly any of us looking forward to the challenges we have throughout the eastern caribbean people are saying we can't live here anymore uh, i talked to kids who said i will never go through that again talking about hurricane maria and um that's just the beginning the second point that i want to make also on a macro scale is that we've got to start talking about the structural problems with american democracy that are so profound that they started at the beginning and i'll just give you a couple numbers um so when the the Great Connecticut compromise was put together in 1789 between the small states and the big states. Uh, The smallest state was Delaware. The largest state was Virginia. Virginia was 8% of, or Delaware was 8% of Virginia's population. Today, Wyoming is three-quarters of 1% of California's population. You can take the smallest five states and it adds up to 3.4 million people which is less than the population of Puerto Rico and 10% of California, yet they have 10 United States senators and five members of the House of Congress. Until we look at some of the ways that we govern ourselves and come up with uh, one that is a representative, because I don't think the country, I think the country could get this right, but there are so many institutional barriers to having that work.
1: You all talked about you know, the, 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 the need for America to, to get this right and, and, and the problems that, that we face structurally. But how, uh, I guess, just, just, like, just like individuals, countries are what they believe, right? So, how dangerous and how toxic is, you know, our sort of American religion, our, our, our American gospel, if you will, in terms of our, our, our narrative of America, this rugged individualism that puts the individual action over any type of uh, systemic or, or structural impediment that you know, you are you know, you're, uh, your own creation and nothing else is at play.
4: And it's stories that were never true. For example, here in the West, people talk about the individual narrative of the individualist building a society on their own when from the very beginning because of water, it was always a shared enterprise. Nobody could do it on their own and never could. Uh, We have these stories about the West with crazy uh, gunfighters and stuff that are part of our our history of violence, yet there were more lawyers in the West than there were gunfighters. And that, to me, is a scarier thought.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, America, you need to get over yourself. See, I wasn't born here. My land that I'm indigenously from, um, I can't even live there because it's paradise and white folks and Chinese folks, to be quite honest, it's mostly China, um, have bought all the beaches and all the land. Uh, So, I'm here. You know, meanwhile, my inheritance is like the best land on the planet. So I look at these mountains, they're lovely, and the water, it's nice, that's nice, and I'm, I'm happy to be a guest here on this land, but I can't go home and buy property, you know? That's thats millions and millions of dollars. I don't know why America thinks it's so damn great. Why do you want to be great again? How about be great for the first time? Why, why is that not a goal? Because... What I don't think most Americans realize is the rest of the world is looking at America like leave Becky stupid. The rest of the world already knows we're inter- interdependent. That's what, we get it. The world gets it. It's America's individualism that could like kill the entire planet. It's not about you, Becky. <laughs> It's not. It's about all of us. It's about how we're connected to each other. And until Americans really believe that everyone in the country is dependent on everyone in the country's success, no matter what body you come in, there's not going to be progress here. It's going to be a bunch of people talking about how they can make money and exploit each other like it's been. Stop focusing so much on yourself as the individual. You know, ancient cultures already know and have already known. Ancient humans all over the world know that we depend on each other. That what we do together is important, you know, and matters. But if we're all tearing each other apart, like if we decided to have an Oppression Olympics for your, you know, entertainment. Nothing would come of it. We wouldn't build anything together. We would just be tearing each other down. So I, my America take is like, America, get over yourself. Get over yourself. It's not all about America. Be curious about other places, travel. Some of these problems that we have in America have been solved
3: elsewhere. Well, I'd like to follow up. You were asking essentially the, how damaging or how much has this permeated, I guess, our society. You know, my discipline um, is political science. And if we think, you know, from a social science perspective, um, how we see the world and our place in it is entirely socially constructed, right? What we consider fashionable, uh, what we consider... Um, you know, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be male, female, all these things that we, I mean, it's not entirely, but in large part, it's socially constructed. And so going back to uh, the narrative piece that I was talking about earlier, and I think this is really this connection between the micro and the macro, because they have to work together, is, you know, how are we, and this is a micro action that and make macro change. How are we talking about the world, right? Are we just accepting the language that we're given? Um, So for example, when we're talking about schools and people are saying, well, um, this is a good school and this is a bad school, what are you saying? Oh, the test scores. Well, yeah, I know that sometimes test scores, it's not really, you know, inequality and English language learners and all this, but that's still a good school. Like, so what are you saying? A good neighborhood. Right? What are you saying? Because I know that up in Queen Anne and a lot of these other places, there's a lot of crime happening, right? If you actually look at the crime reports. So what is it that we're saying, right? There's a lot of racialized connotations to so many things that we're saying, right, within the African-American community. What's good hair? Right? I don't allow my girls to talk. We don't say that. and so we really, you know, need to think about the language that we're using and even how we're perceiving what we're, you know, our actions within that and always question. Todd,
1: did you want to yeah, say just,
5: something? Yeah, you know, for, you know, some closing thoughts on my part. And, and, and actually, Natasha, I, I, I love what, what some of the things you're, you're saying because, you know, something that I really heard was the, uh, you know, the power of the individual. And you know, in, in closing, I know this this topic is, is so large. There's so much to talk about, but I really want to acknowledge the people in this room because I, I know you're here on a Saturday to to learn, to to listen, to challenge yourselves, and and taking what Natasha has said in terms of you know the power of the individual. I you know, I'm an oral historian, so I've I've done hundreds of oral histories and. What people can do as individuals is, is, is pretty astounding. And Seattle is a place where I've heard story over story of, of people making changes. But it, it starts with you know, something clicking where, you know, I think what Natasha says, you can do something today. And the fact that you're here says a lot already. And, and part of what I really see people doing today is, is getting to know someone you've never met before and, and, and really connecting and, and listening to their story and sharing your story. Because, you know, I, I believe that really changes people. And that, that really, again, at a micro level, those things will make changes. So that's, that's what I want to finish with.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I want to play a little bit of an actual, like, oral history. This is why I have this microphone. So I spent the last few months uh, asking black folks all over Washington state and the world to respond to three prompts. What is your origin story? How do you heal yourself? And imagine a world where you're loved, safe, and valued. And I have some of their responses. So I'm just gonna play like 30 seconds. Yeah.
6: TF card mode. TF card mode. My inheritance is, is light, gold and turquoise light from a, a time that has no, that, that is timeless. A space that that has no real space. And to come through a womb and be and be birthed here on earth, that that is my inheritance. The fact that I'm even here. Mm-hmm. And you're here. And we're all here. Mm-hmm. This is my inheritance. Because this doesn't this didn't have to happen, you know. And I, I think each day is like that. I'm always finding myself in really groovy situations and going, damn, I didn't have to be here. I could have been sitting around depressed <laughs> in my house or whatever. That's true. But this, this fear, my, the breath, me breathing is my inheritance. So there's, and I think that's what keeps, uh, keeps us going. The small things, it's the, the simple things that, um, that keep us, that keep us going and knowing
2: that things like joy. I didn't know what was gonna play because it could have been anything, but I think that was the right thing.
1: I think that's the perfect way to end it. Whatever y'all pay, what, $75 for a ticket? It was not enough for for this panel. Can can we please get a uh, round of applause for this wonderful panel, thank you.